This is the Cinema for All podcast. The celebration of going to the cinema with Jack Shell and Abby Standish. Welcome back to the Cinema for All podcast. Our podcast is a celebration of going to the cinema, but due to the pandemic, the act of going to the cinema has seen some changes and it wasn't possible at all during lockdown. But we're super pleased today to say that this episode focuses on a recent trip that Jack took to the cinema. Spoiler alert, it was really good. And we're really excited to share that with you later on in this episode. So stay tuned. Yeah, and before we get started, if you're a film fan and you'd like to set up your own community cinema or online film club, after listening, go to cinemaforall.org.uk or get in touch with us to find out how to get started. We will help you! So it's obviously a bit of a time of flux for UK cinemas at the moment. Uh, Some of them are reopening and some of them are sadly closing their doors again. And we're going to talk about that before we get into the segment. But first of all, I've been dying to talk to you, Ab. I don't know what you've seen at the pictures lately. What have you seen? Well, I didn't get a chance to go to the pictures before they closed again, unfortunately. But I've, I've been watching some stuff at home. Uh, but I plan to make a trip to another cinema that's a bit further away hopefully soon but uh, in the meantime at home I've been watching I watched I can't remember if I actually spoke about this last time so I'll keep this one brief but Dating Amber which I found was a really sweet rom-com set in Northern Ireland about these two friends and they um, kind of agree to enter into what's called a beard relationship in which you are in a fake heterosexual relationship to keep your um, sexuality concealed Um, Mm -hmm. But it's a really sweet story. It's told really well. It's just really nice to see something set in Northern Ireland and get a like, slightly different perspective on that kind of coming-of-age um, rom-com that we get a lot of. But it was a really sweet film. Um, oh, cute. Also saw Get Up the James Brown Story, which had a real extra significance and sorrow to it due to you know Chadwick Boseman's um, death very recently. Uh, which is absolutely devastating. And he was just such an incredible performer. And um, a lot of the really sweet pe- things people have said about him and people who have worked with him is that he's so generous and giving. And you can just see that in his in his work. Um, and I'm, I can imagine that's what he was like with the cast. But um, he does such a good job of playing James Brown and... Um, a lot of the nuances in his behaviour and the, the, his singing's incredible and the dancing and yeah, it was just it's just it was really a really standout performance from him. Um, I also watched Boxer, which is this really early Daniel Day Lewis film. Again, another Irish film um, set during the Troubles, and it's about him getting out of prison um, after he he was involved in a ira attack but you can kind of see that it was forced and he was he was a very successful boxer before i went into prison um but it's just really quite an interesting film um again he's always such a good performer so subtle but so good um that was cool i also watched i've been trying i've made an autumn film list with films that are like set and in in the autumn season um and one of them was October Sky, which was a really sweet film. Uh, it's based on a true story about this uh, man who now works for NASA, but he grew up in a very small um, town in America, like a mining town, uh, super rural, and your only choices are to work in the mine, basically. Um, but he finds out that he can get a science scholarship, which would get him into college and let him do something else. So he starts to study maths and science and builds a rocket and learns how rockets work um and it's just really really sweetly told jake gyllenhaal's really young in it and he plays the guy and of course laura dern who we have been <laughs> obsessing over for a very long time but um she only plays... my whole life Pardon? <laughs> only been obsessing over her my whole life <laughs> yeah exactly it's been a lifetime commitment <laughs> and one worthwhile that is paying off daily um, yeah. But she plays his teacher and just to see her as a teacher who's just really encouraging, just mm. again, I, like I spoke about her, like warmth that beams from her in Wild, it's it's happening again in this film. 
Uh, but yeah, it's just like one of those sweet stories. <laughs> um, oh, I love her. And I also watched a film called AWOL, which has, I think, Lola Kirk, who was in Mistress America. Oh, a yeah. A while back. It was pretty good. It was about, um, she's a young woman again in a kind of small town. Um, she might join the army as a way to get into college again because they pay for your college if you've been oh, in the army yeah. for a few years. Um, but it's just about an, a relationship she enters with somebody in her town and it kind of like derails her. It was really sad, actually. Um, mm. A bit bleak, but good. Oh. Um, and I've been watching a few documentaries. So I watched this one called Sunshine Hotel, which was like a really, um, it's quite old now, maybe like 15 years old. And it was like a bit of a Sundance hyped film, but it's just about this flop house in the Bowery in New York. Um, and it just follows like the men that live there and how they ended up there. And um, again, deeply sad, but very interesting and very human. And I really mm. like those kind of, it feels like documentaries with what like all documentaries probably initially start out to be, which is like a fly on the wall or like a an honest look at something. But that genuinely feels like they did just sit there with the camera and it is just unfolding as it is rather than documentaries that you see now are much more kind of cutting edge and they mm. probably have like um a storyboard even of, of how they're going to do it which is it there it's also cool but it was really nice to watch that kind of um really organic documentary filmmaking um, Ooh. it was good uh, yeah you had a real mixed bag there you've seen loads yeah absolutely tons i think the best thing i've watched recently <laughs> is this is paris the documentary I have also watched that. There's no shame from me whatsoever. <laughs> no, no shame at all. I've never, I've never disliked Paris Hilton. I've always kind of had, like, a soft spot for her. I think she's an interesting person. I think I could always sense that tongue-in-cheek idea of her being like a bit of a like playing a character. Yeah. Especially because the simple life explicitly kind of said you know, this is all kind this of made up real. for entertainment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what did you think of it? I really enjoyed it. I, It's weird because it's a YouTube film and I don't normally watch stuff on my phone, but I did watch this on my phone. <laughs> Very much. And I watched it in sort of like 20-minute chunks when I had time, like a little bit on my lunch break. One night I went to pick Greg up, my husband, I went to pick him up from the pub and I just sat watching it in the car, turned the engine off and just sat watching like 20 minutes of This Is Paris. I found it fascinating, to be honest. I find it all a bit... Because it's the same director as Bombshell, isn't it? Um, the yeah. The Lamar story. Which you can see. You can yeah. see that in the filmmaking, actually. So it's been it's been really properly made. It's really thoughtfully put together. I think the... the so the, basically the concept behind it is that Paris Hilton has been paying, playing a character... All these years, she's been playing the ditzy blonde. She's actually a brilliant businesswoman. She's got a billion-dollar perfume empire, um, and she is. And she's this uh, world-class DJ. She's like the number one female DJ in the world. And she's sort of, they're exploring that really, and they're also exploring some of the really sad things that happened to her in her childhood. She was sent away to basically a bit of a military-style boot camp for troubled very wealthy teens and was abused there. And it's it's a very, very sad part of the story. And I think that that's going to have quite a legacy to the film, which I think is really interesting. But I also think the idea that this whole time she's been playing a character is a little bit of a stretch. I do think she's been playing a character in certain things. And I do think the, you know, the baby voice that she puts on is um, a stretch to her personality. But I don't think it's completely brand new invention that she's been putting up for the past 20 years I think she's grown and changed as a person and that's fine you know and she's more intelligent than what she's put out to the world that's fine but I think the idea that this is a complete concept character that was conceived upon you know day one of the simple life and since then she's kept this illusion up is actually stretching it a little bit far and I don't think the film quite puts that across but a lot of the interviews that I've seen surrounding the film are very much like 
everybody thinks that I'm this ditzy blonde, but I'm actually a brilliant businesswoman. And they are quite hilarious. So I would watch, if you're going to watch This Is Paris on YouTube, watch the accompanying interviews because they really tickled me. They really tickled me. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen the interviews. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I think obviously there are elements of who she is slash was definitely part of it probably um but i guess that's like i guess it to simplifying it into a tagline that's probably why it's this idea of she's played a character this whole time i'm not this i'm actually this obviously everyone's way more nuanced than the the kind of things people perceive us to be but um yeah definitely and like i think that's a good point about about the legacy of the film and it's interesting that you know i think that's a really powerful part of of documentary and the filmmaker didn't know that about Paris uh, at first about the abuse that she'd received in her life and then Mm -hmm. it turned into that documentary as they built their trust which is again a really interesting thing about the documentary filmmaker and the part they play Mm -hmm. in the film even if they're not on screen um which I think's pretty interesting as well pretty interesting point of view yeah I think perhaps with a different filmmaker it would have been a bit of a a promotional piece really just something to promote Paris and her businesses and all of her products um, but I think it was in the right hands and I think it came off much better it was really odd experience watching it the way that I watched it because on YouTube being free and I was watching it on my phone it's like adverts every 20 minutes 15 minutes something like that so it's quite hard to be engaged in it um, I mm. think it's interesting that we're watching films in different ways at the moment and I think we're allowing ourselves some subpar viewing sessions because, you know, we can't watch films in the same ways we would normally do in a big screen. Um, yeah. But I have been to the cinema a couple of times. Oh, what um, did you see? I went to the cinema to see um, the film that the segment's about, which is Memories of Murder, so I'm not going to talk about that very much. Um, we're quite lucky in Sheffield, um, even though we're about to go into Tier 3 lockdown, there are still cinemas open. So our Cineworld is closed, but our Cineworld's kind of on the outskirts of town anyway. And our Odeon is still open at weekends, but I've not, never really been to that Odeon very much. But the showroom cinema's open, which I'm really excited about, really proud that that's the space that we have here in Sheffield. And the light cinema is open as well, which is kind of a smaller chain that's um, of sort of like town centre cinemas. So I've been to the showroom and I've been to the light and I went to see Akira at the lights, the 4K oh, restoration of Akira. Cool. Um, I went on my week off last week. Um, I went kind of in the day. There were about eight other people in. We were all quite nicely socially distanced, but... Um, everybody else took their masks off during the film, which really frustrated me. We were all, we were spaced out from each other, but it was irritating that people didn't do that. Whereas when I was at the showroom for Memories of Murder, which we talk about in the segment, I, I didn't see anybody sneaking their masks off, I don't think. So I, I thought that was interesting. I'm not sure what the difference was. But it was really great to see Akira again um, on the big screen and the sound was amazing. It's got an incredible soundtrack and that was a really special part of the restoration. I'm not really sure, maybe this is me, maybe I'm being a Philistine, but I don't think that I clocked anything on the 4K restoration that I didn't think had been done by the Blu-ray release that I originally watched the film on. That might get me into trouble. People might just think that I'm an idiot and there's a lot that I didn't clock, but I didn't aesthetically clock too much that was different to the Blu-ray that I own, but that's okay. Um, I really enjoyed the opportunity to see it on the big screen. Um, and it was just, you know, a nice normal day out. It was very nice. And again, I bought sweets uh, from the concession stand. I bought some Sour Patch Kids, but I was not brave enough to remove my mask for a moment and stick them in my mouth. So I ate them when I got home and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you still um, supported the cinema getting them, getting them from there. That sounds really true. cool. I love that film. I remember yeah. seeing it for the first time, thinking, "Whoa!" And all the all the all the kind of um, cultural and political kind of anxiety that's packed into that film is just so so good. And I know lots of anime does that, but there's a reason why Akira is the one that's like leaves everybody's lips all the time. Absolutely, the the, the creation of motion in that film is unreal. Like the speed. You do not feel like you're watching an animation a lot of it. I mean, obviously, it looks very physically like an, uh, an animation, but the way they use light 
and movement to create the illusion of speed is like second to none. It's unreal. Um, so that was nice. But stuff I've been watching at home, it is officially spooky season. Um, so you've got to get your spooky collection out. So I've been re-watching the Nightmare on Elm Street series, which oh, in my nice. opinion is the best of all the scary franchises from the 18, from the 80s rather. Um, so I've been enjoying that a lot. But I've also been looking at them from a slightly different perspective. So Freddy's Revenge, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, is quite infamous in the horror community for having a, uh, a queer interpretation. So the, the main character in it, Jesse, so usually a lot of the main characters in horror films from the 80s are, you know, it's a final girl. It's the trope of a final girl. But in Freddy's Revenge, it's a guy. Um, he's not like a sporty guy. He's more of a sensitive guy. Um, and a lot of people rewatch this film now with a queer lens and see Jesse as sort of uh, a repressed gay guy um, who's struggling with his sexuality. And that's been... Um, shown on the big screen through his battle with Freddy who possesses him in this film which is not something that Freddy does in any other films if you're a Freddy fan Freddy doesn't possess you he comes to your dreams and he kills you horribly um, nice. so that was quite interesting and then immediately after that I watched a documentary about the main character from um, Freddy's Revenge called Scream Queen My Nightmare on Elm Street and it is Incredible, utterly fascinating documentary. So basically, the guy that played Jesse was gay in real life, but he was closeted. Um, it was like 80, gosh, I can't remember. It was early 80s, 83, I think it was. Um, a lot of things obviously happening in the world, in the queer community in the 80s, the AIDS crisis, Reagan being a closeted actor in Hollywood. Very, very difficult time for him. And basically what happened from his perspective is that the film was written with a gay subtext. Um, there's a lot of stuff that happens. There's a gay bar in it at one point. There's some um, sort of S&M moments. Freddie whips somebody's bare butt with a towel. Um, there's a lot of phallic imagery. Um, and one of the key things is that Jesse has a very feminine scream. Um, and it's like, it's very, very noticeable. And what Jess, what's happened to uh, Mark Patton, who played Jesse over the years, is that the writer and the director have blamed all that on him and said that he was such a gay man that he made the whole film gay. And he received a huge amount of abuse for this, for basically ruining the Freddy franchise, making it queer. He's experienced a lot of abuse, a lot of people saying slurs, hate speech. Um, the horror community, especially in the 80s and 90s, just being absolutely vitriolic and really, really vicious to him and blaming him personally for making the film gay. When it's quite clear, when you look at the scripts and you look at the scenes, it's the film. The film has these things that are not even a queer subtext, it's text. Um, and so the film follows his quest to get to the bottom of it and to get to the to interview the writer and interview the director and be reunited with them and try and understand, you know, why they did that to him and why they kind of pinned it on him. And he basically left Hollywood after that and has had um, quite a difficult life. Um, he was diagnosed with HIV. He uh, lost a partner. I don't want to give too much away about the film, so I'm going to stop talking now. But the film was very much his journey to find out what happened and that, you know, it wasn't all on him. But one thing that's really great is that people, horror fans, are better now. <laughs> they are more accepting of him as they can now call him the first male scream queen. And now he's, he's sort of come back to um, Hollywood and he does a lot of tours. He does a lot of special events. There's a lot of drag queens in the film. You might understand why I'm a bit obsessed with this documentary, um, especially sort of ones dressed up as Freddy. And he does these special screenings and tours and talks about basically what happened to him. And he also raises awareness about homophobia, about AIDS awareness. Um, and it's just great really spot on combination of things that I'm very interested in really great documentary um so I loved that that is like my top tip for spooky season people can watch it on Shudder so Shudder's sort of like a like an Amazon Prime or a Netflix for spooky films so there's obviously a lot on at the moment it's worth getting this month at least um so I would recommend that very much and it's also opened up for me 
just wanting to find more queer horror films or more films with a queer subtext. So we also watched Nightbreed, which is uh, by Clive Barker, who did all the Hellraiser films, which Hellraiser films have also got a queer subtext. Um, and that's that's very much sort of an allegory for for gay gay people in society in 80s society and probably even in society now. It's kind of crap. <laughs> it's it's very kind of crap. Um and it's very shonky. The sets are really shonky. The makeup is um, quite laughable in places. But it is also kind of fascinating and really interesting to watch um, basically these underground monsters that have this uh, society where they're outcasts but a very inclusive and accepting society where they're able to be themselves. And everybody who lives above ground chasing them with pitchforks basically so it's, it's a very clear allegory for for gay life in 80s society but it is uh really enjoyable even if it's crap you know yeah. it's one of those ones like i'm watching this and i enjoyed every minute of it it's just kind of shonky they all sound really interesting i always thought that gay subtext in horror films is really common yeah i think that it is really common but i think that a lot of horror fans traditionally in the past and i'm not saying this about modern horror film horror fans um of which there are a lot of queer people and inclusive and accepting people but i would say um in the past people have reacted really negatively to any kind of queer stuff in a film and they've especially the reactions to freddy's 2 were really homophobic and i think that's what caused the writer and the director to just blame it all on mark Patton, the, the actor who played jesse um in, in a really homophobic way and in a way that sort of for a long time ruined his life and ruined his career. So um, sad. But what is very heartening to me is that now there are, you know, queer horror fans, accepting fans, uh, fans that love the LGBTQ plus community. And a lot of that is because they watched Freddy too and they saw themselves reflected on screen in the early 80s in this... Um, more sensitive character, the first male scream queen. So, uh, yeah, that's my big tip for spooky season, scream queen, my nightmare on Elm Street. I definitely want to watch that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Very cool. You've been watching some really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, just before we wrap up what we've been watching, I recently watched a documentary called Recorder, the Marion Stokes Project, which is about a woman who was an activist from the 60s and she secretly recorded television for 24 hours a day for 30 years, which amounts to 70,000 tapes, which is wow. a humongous archive and means a lot because a lot of networks in America were just deleted their archives, removed their archives. Um mm. But she secretly kept her own. Um, and it's really interesting because she's taped like the biggest breaking news stories in, you know, from the, from the 70s till, till recent history. Um, human triumphs and tragedies on a local and global level, commercials and everything in between. Um, and it was a project that was part of her ambition of, of protecting the truth and highlighting the ways in which kind of media shapes us. Um, but she was a really intriguing person in herself beyond the project and uh, the documentary brings us closer to finding a bit more about who she was and what led her to creating such an enormous archive. Um, and it's a really good documentary and I would recommend it. And if anyone does want to watch it, um, it's going to have its virtual release on the 6th of November and you can watch it on Modern Films streaming platform. And there's a really cool thing at the moment where you can watch films on there and decide to... Um, decide who you're watching it with essentially so you can choose an independent cinema but we're also one of those options cinema for all and it would um mean so much if you did choose to watch that film to select us as the partner that you're watching it with because the money made from the tickets is kindly split between the distributor violet pictures and ourselves and that's something that if you're in the position to do at the moment We'd really greatly appreciate it as it supports the work we do as a charity to help achieve our goal in making cinema accessible for all. So if that's something you're up for and you want to watch a great film um, as well, um, we encourage you to do that and we'll have the link um, in our show notes. 
So it is a weird cinema landscape that we have in the UK at the moment. Some cinemas started to open up again back in July. A lot of the independents started opening up again in September. And then we were hit by the news just a couple of weeks ago that all cine worlds were going to be closing um, for the foreseeable, which is a huge impact on lots of people across the UK. A lot of people only have a cine world that they can go to, which I think is true for you where you are uh, in the country, isn't it, Abby? Yeah, true. It's the nearest one for quite some time. Yeah. Um, We're lucky here in Sheffield, as I said before, that we've got a couple of cinemas that are still open and I'm extremely grateful for that. Um, I think... It's, it is such an odd time. It must be very difficult to be a cinema operator at the moment. I think the huge thing that's impacting people at the moment is the lack of content that's available and the films that are being pushed back. So obviously Bond and other films like that are really impacting what people are able to put on the cinema. But what makes me really hopeful is what independent cinemas and certainly community cinemas are able to do at the moment. Um, they're able to show much more independent films. They're able to take risks. There are still a lot of films being released, particularly from our independent partners. And independent distributors are doing an amazing job of keeping cinema alive in the UK at the moment. So if you do have the chance to go to a cinema um, and you feel comfortable to do that, we really encourage you to do so. I've seen some research that's come out this week that that suggested that there have been no COVID cases linked to a cinema at all. And that is unreal and I think that's a testament to so much work that's been put in by cinema workers, by volunteers, uh, by community cinemas to make sure that spaces are safe and adaptable and flexible and it's really really wonderful to see and I hope, 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 hope that we're able to stay open and meet some of the challenges that are obviously going to be facing everybody over the next couple of weeks. Um, But I hope that this segment encourages you to give it a try if you feel comfortable to do so because I've been back to the cinema a couple of times now and I felt safe and it was also just brought my heart back to life so I'll, I'll leave you to listen to the segment um, and we hope you venture back into cinemas soon. Jack so we've got something pretty exciting to talk about today. We do! You went to the cinema. I went to the cinema. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. But I was brave and I went back. <gasps> Insert <gasps> sound effect there. That's amazing. Well, I, I'm hearing about this totally fresh mm-hmm. with the listeners. So I am extremely excited to dig in and find out more. Get my field notebook out. You're in an interrogation now. So tell me, what, what did you go and see? Mm-hmm. And... What did it feel like when you went in the building? Well, I went to see Memories of Murder, the Bong Joon-ho film, um, which I've seen before um, on a small screen, but this is a 4K restoration national release, um, sort of following on from Parasite. A couple of Bong Joon-ho films have been released into cinemas over the last couple of weeks. Um, So I couldn't really pass up an opportunity to see a film like that, a film that I I really, really love and I would love to see on the big screen, especially a 4K restoration. So I went to the showroom cinema, um, which is, you know, our OG, our fave, our next door neighbours. And I wanted to see what it was like. I wanted to see how safe it felt, you know, if we were spaced out from people. Um, I had a lot of worries, to be honest, because it was it's a bit scary. It's been cool what six months since we were allowed into cinema buildings really um so yeah I was I was excited but I was also really apprehensive and I was a little bit like is this too soon am I rushing things um but I was very very pleasantly surprised amazing no I I totally understand where you're coming from I think a lot of people feel like that especially on the first visit what what kind of safety measures did they have in place then when you went there well, everything was really thought out and everything was quite different to what it would normally be like when we go into the showroom, which is a building that I'm super familiar with. I used to work there many, many years ago, um, but the flow was very different. So we go in the door and we had um, sort of the track and trace, all, all of that kind of business, and there was somebody there to welcome us. And then there was sort of a flow around the cinema just to make sure that people weren't sort of going back on each other and people wouldn't be facing each other. So I went to the box office and everything was kind of automated. Um, there was somebody working on kiosk and that was absolutely fine, but there were um, perspex 
perspex up all around them so everything felt quite protected and things felt very spaced out as well I didn't really feel that I was bumping into any customers um, and then I walked into the bar it was again through the one-way system walked into the bar and saw my friends and that was all table service um, which was really lovely and everybody was wearing visors or masks you know all the serving staff so that was fantastic um, and then the thing that I really loved, um, and maybe this is just me as somebody who used to be an usher and just loves the art of being an usher, there was just loads of front of house staff members about, which is something that I haven't seen for years because obviously cinemas is quite an expensive thing and it's it's quite difficult to have lots of staff on all the time. Um, but there were literally three front of house staff members on the way down to the cinema. And for me, that was like, the good old days that was like when I used to work there and everybody was doing a different thing I saw Chloe at the top of the stairs who um, I see quite a lot when I go to the cinema and she made a cheesy joke about tearing my tickets because obviously she couldn't touch them um, and I feel quite bad for her because everybody probably made that joke to her and she's probably going to get that a lot for several weeks um <laughs> But then when we went downstairs, there was somebody again outside of the screen and then there was somebody just right at the entrance in the screen explaining how the seating system worked and how to choose your seats and how to make sure that you're properly spaced out from everybody. Um, so I think that was one of my favourite bits that there was just lots of staff about, not in a way that felt that there were too many people, but in a way that I found really reassuring. And it was just lovely to see them again, really. It was just lovely to just chat to them and smile to them because I think one of the most important things about going to a cinema for me is interacting with the staff and chatting with them and talking to them about film. And um, it's just something that I absolutely am quite passionate about. So, so that was great. It was great to see lots and lots of staff members about. Yeah, no, that sounds so lovely. And it is a really big part of the experience is, is seeing those friendly faces and having a little bit of a chat and a catch up and talking about some films. And, it is. Um, yeah, our rushes are our friends. So it's, it's great that you got to see so many of them and they were there also to provide like a friendly and reassuring um, face as well as you as you came back that's brilliant it was definitely that I think I really don't like it when I go into a cinema space and it feels like deserted and like there's nobody there to help you there's nobody there to uh, sort of emphasize the cinematic experience I think there's mm. something very nostalgic about proper proper usher work if you know what I mean um, and I think probably before lockdown a lot of cinema spaces I was going into it was kind of deserted from a staff point of view you would say say if you go into a multiplex you there's somebody at the door to that block of screens but then there's nobody else inside you don't see another staff member for the entire experience and I find that a little bit disconcerting and a little bit sad really so yeah it was great to see lots of people yeah, totally. I, I remember remember once in my Osha days, um, it was very limited staff one time and I served on the box office and I tore the tickets. So I like, had to run around the next bit and I convinced um, a couple that uh, I had an identical twin working at the cinema with me. Um, That's and, the they, most... and they believed it, but you know, not all ushers are so cheeky. So That is <laughs> the work. most on-brand Abby story I have ever heard. <laughs> Just convincing somebody you Long... you've got an identical twin because you're so blimmin' fast. Like... <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's such a nice experience, and I guess like that's it. Just reminds you, doesn't it? It's like it's like a homecoming, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Which is just so sweet. It did feel like that, and I think because. As, as you'll kind of hear in the segment and the recordings that I took when I was there, me and my husband, we were quite nervous on the way down. We had been excited all week. And then on the walk down, we were like, wait, how's it going to work? How do we get to our seats? How Oh, we were just like quite spooked all of a sudden. But as soon as we got through the door, it did feel it did feel like a homecoming. You're right. And it felt like it's such a it's such a special space for people like us going to the cinema it's it's a place where it's a place where you see people that you love it's a place where you connect with the art form that you love the most and it's a place for the kind of silent reflection that you don't get very much these days I think at the moment your brain's so distracted by so much trauma and sadness and stress and so many things that you have to deal with that we forget get the power of being able to sit quietly 
with a piece of art and think about it with no distractions for two hours. And I don't think I've had that for such a long time. And it was just rejuvenating. Yeah, no, you've put that so well. You're absolutely right. It's a space. It's, <laughs> I don't know why I'm using this as, as, as a similar, like, um, as a comparison, but it's like when you hear about um, when people were discovering the frescoes that had been like plastered over and you take a chisel and it all crumbles down and then there's just like beautiful, fulfilling, vibrant, colourful thing behind it. That's what I feel like the cinema does to me. <laughs> all that build up from the world <laughs> just gets chiselled off and then you like back to the things that are vibrant and exciting and interesting and make you think beyond, beyond your f- front two feet. I think that's true you are the queen of analogies that feels really spot on and I did feel a little bit chiseled and (laughs) (laughs) I'm fresh again and you're right it's that connection with not just with the art but also the colors and the dialogue and just I think for me remembering the power of the cinema space everything felt sharper and more vibrant in terms of just that experience as well so people reacting to what was happening on the screen, I could feel it more sharply and I was more aware of those moments and they were just delightful. Like there was one bit where, um, so I was with my husband Greg and my best friends Chris and Ruth and there's one bit in the film where the police chief is about to be sick into a bucket. This is not a spoiler, (laughs) it's very minor. (laughs) He's about to be sick into a bucket and he's just trying to get a bucket and people are being very slow and then he finally gets this bucket and he's sick into it. And Ruth just did the biggest belly laugh. She was just howling at this (laughs) moment where he was just vomiting. And then he does this little groan afterwards where he just goes, (laughs) and she just started again just howling. And I just was so delighted in that moment because I'd forgotten how wonderful it is to just share emotions and reactions with people in that space. I mean, we've watched films together on Zoom or I went round and watched Hamilton with the patio doors open and <laughs> we got to share that together but this was it's different because you're in a public space and it's just lovely to have people be really extroverted in that space as well like I think a lot of people think of the cinema as an introvert space because it's quiet and contemplative like I just mentioned but it's also um, an extroverted space where you you react in the moment and you bear those emotions really realistically and instinctively um, there was another moment where um Again, this isn't a spoiler, but there was a, it's a, you know, it's a police drama and there's a moment where the police are about to apprehend somebody and I heard somebody whisper quite loudly, got him. And it just, it just made me laugh so much. Again, it's just one of those natural reactions from other people and sharing that moment. And I think probably over the last six months, a lot of us that work in cinema or volunteer in cinema or think about cinema a lot have thought about, well, is it that important? that we're in this space together. I've seen some um, articles in newspapers that talk about, you know, is it that important that people are together? Is it that important if we lose the cinema industry? Um, And I I think that it's those moments where we get to be really human and react and have realistic moments together that proves the importance of cinema to me. That's You don't get that at home. You get that with people that you know. You don't understand other people's interpretations and reaction to art live in the moment in any other way than at the cinema. Yeah, you're so right. It's so communal and so individual at the same time. And there's like few spaces that give you that. And I think, you know, I bet it's quite a unique place where because when obviously all the right systems are in place right now and what you've just described about keeping everybody safe and um, you know doing their best. But once the lights go down, you can kind of just be absorbed into the film. Is that what it was like? Yeah, it was, it was 100% that. I think before, when we first sat down, we were still caught up in the, the physical aspects of how you watch a film during a pandemic because we all obviously had our masks on and we picked up some snacks at the kiosk and we were like what how do we eat these like do we pull the mask up and tuck the minstrel underneath like how do we do that we were all very just aware of like this is quite odd we were looking around to be you know other people wearing their masks what's going on is everybody doing it properly everybody properly spaced out we were quite 
caught up in that and probably still caught up in it whilst the trailers and the adverts were on as well. But as soon as the film started, it was like, I don't know. It just kind of takes your breath away for a minute. It's it's that's the point of it. It's supposed to be completely immersive. The sound is very loud. The screen is very big. Everything's boosted. Everything's amplified. And you forget because you're used to watching everything quite small at home. And the point of that, of walking into this little box room and surrounding yourself with somebody's art for two hours is that you are completely immersed. And it did that like that. That's amazing. So great. And and yeah, what a great film for you to, to choose to, to go back for. Um, was there anything that was unexpected that you you felt or discovered when when you went yeah i found myself um it's funny enough because the 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 film's called memories of murder but i've I've also felt like i was surrounded by memories of cinema which is really cheesy actually i'm sorry i said that (laughs) um (laughs) but i found myself surrounded by memories of being in the cinema i was deeply nostalgic for moments that i've had in the cinema in the past it made me remember the first film that I'd sat in the cinema and watched with my husband. It made me remember the first film that I'd watched ever in the cinema when I was a little girl. And I think because I was with my best friends, Chris and Ruth, I was flooded with memories of going to the cinema with them and what it was like to experience their experience of going to the cinema. Um I think the last film we'd seen together before lockdown was Parasite, which we'd all absolutely loved and we were obsessed with. Um, So it was really lovely to be coming back to see another Bong Joon-ho film. Um, But it just made me think of all those moments. It made me think about how um, I always fall asleep at the cinema if I haven't brought my glasses, (laughs) which just always happens. If my eyes are not properly focused, I just doze off. So I always have to remember to bring my glasses. It reminded me of... um, when we went to see Lighthouse, which was probably in January or February, we went with Chris and Ruth, and Ruth decided to just go for a wee at the big moment at the end <laughs> and just walk out of the aisle. Um, just all of those kind of moments, and I just loved it. It just felt like a celebration and just being flooded with memories. Um, and then we all walked home and ate our minstrels afterwards, basically. <laughs> Because I was really so caught up in the film, I ended up not eating my minstrels during the film. And also just the the faffing with the mask I wasn't keen on. So just went home, scoffed my minstrels. It was great. Oh, it sounds so nice. Like how And how did you feel afterwards? Was there any uncertainty afterwards or were you just kind of like, I'm really glad I went? Uh, Really, really glad I went. Yeah, I felt reassured. I felt like... I actually felt like the cinema was one of the safest spaces I've been in sort of post-lockdown because, you know, I've been to pubs and I've been in shops and um, probably some other spaces that I've been into that I can think about. But this felt just really, really well managed and really spaced out. There was no moment that I felt in close contact with anybody that was outside of my bubble, essentially. Mm. Um, But I still got to experience life again which is really special yeah completely I've, I've literally like feel like I've what I feel like I'm getting like the nice end credits to a lovely swelling cinescope film at the end there with how that's just hearing the story so thank you um and yeah it's very very exciting and I think um everything you've said there is just done the same to me it's like flooded back memories and reminded me about um the joy of the cinema space definitely yeah I absolutely can't wait to go back now I'm really excited to do it so um so I hope people enjoy these little sound clips actually from from when I went down to the to the cinema I recorded our experience I recorded some of those familiar sounds just like the getting your tickets noise when it chugs out of the machine so nice um as well as some experiences from other from Chris and Ruth and some other people that we bumped in to on the day so I hope that people listen and um if they feel safe to give it a go head back let's listen to the clips <laughs> So we're just walking down from home to the showroom cinema and we're going to be watching Memories of Murder tonight. We're just meeting some friends. I think we're both feeling a bit anxious. How are you feeling, Greg? 
Uh, more nervous than I expected. Yeah, I think we were both thinking, this is going to be fine. We'll meet our friends, we'll see this film that's great. And now we're a bit... We don't really know what to expect. We don't know what the seating arrangements are. What do you think? Well, I'm just, I guess I'm frustrated that I won't be able to have my, my favourite seat. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> Maybe we will if we arrive early enough. Our favourite seats for reference are K11 and 12 in showroom 4. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll um, see what it's like when we get there. Hope so. Okay, so here we are. I might sound muffled because I've got my mask on already and Greg's just putting his on. Well, we're about to go in and pick up our tickets and meet our friends, so we'll see what it's like. because there's a nice little uh, computer we can get our tickets from. Okay. So here we are, we've got a little booking reference. W-R-S-H-I-W-Z and Great. And here's the ticket. Yeah, we've got the Yeah. Hey, uh, can I just get two bottles of still water, please? Okay, thank you. Can I not go back in that way? Back on, that's okay. Hey, you So I've just bumped into my friends Andrew and Laura actually, so I'm going to ask them how they're feeling about coming to the cinema tonight. Have you been before or is this first time back? We went to The Light last week, Yeah. Uh, which was okay because there's a lot of space between seats and no one was there. That's good. Uh, we picked an unpopular movie. What was the film? <laughs> the 800. Oh, I don't even know that. A Chinese war film. Yeah. Oh wow, at the lights. That's quite special. Yeah, two and a half hour Chinese war epic. Well, that's not what I would expect to see at the lights at all. So. No, it was good. But it was very, yeah, very distant. Not yeah. a lot of people there. Amazing. Um, so it felt fine. Kind of like normal. Good. And I guess we'll see how it goes tonight as well. Yeah. Currently very steamed up. Glasses wearer is not happy right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess if you can move them away from your face a bit while you're watching the film so you can get some air circulating behind, that maybe. Yeah, it's kind of look down your nose. Yeah, this works. This works. <laughs> All right, thank you. Yeah, no worries. Okay, so, so far, picking up tickets, good. Feeling safe. Sanitised a lot. Filled in a track and chase form. And now I'm going to go meet my friends. So we've arrived at the cinema and we've met my friends Chris and Ruth. Say hello. Hello. Hi. Very cute. What was it like when you came in? What happened? So it all seems very organised. There's a one-way system. We were greeted at the door and we were explained exactly how it's going to work. We were taken to a table. It's all very orderly in here. It's all very clean and everybody's separated out. And we've got table service and it all seems very orderly. And, and we had to calm. fill in, we filled in a track and trace form as well. Yes. And there were new the pens, box. new pens and used pens. That's yes. nice. Very tidy. And I'm getting used to having table <laughs> service everywhere. It's actually quite nice. It is quite nice. I nearly put my used pen where the ballot should go, where the track and trace thing should go. And she was like, no! They're working so hard in a system, Jack, and you messed it up. <laughs> I'm going to contaminate them all with the pen. No. What were you feeling on the way down? Were you feeling a bit nervous? Okay, so I'm really excited to be back. Like, I've really wanted to come to the cinema for a while. And I checked out on the showroom's Twitter today, and they already had all of the info on what they're doing here. So I actually felt they've communicated it quite well, like what they've got set up. So I knew before I walked in kind of what they were doing to keep everybody safe and well. I just, I did not do the research. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was just... 
asking Chris lots of questions and I was mainly concerned about whether I'd be able to eat my snacks. Yes. But how do I do that if I'm wearing a mask? You're allowed to These remove your mask questions. to insert popcorn. Oh, Great. And then you have to put the mask back on okay, once you've consumed the popcorn. I can cope with that, that's fine. <laughs> I can may- deal with that. Maybe straws, like you'd have to bring your own straw. That would be another yeah. option. <laughs> okay. So what are we seeing tonight? What are we going to watch? We're going to see Memories of Murder. Yes. We, um, during lockdown, we had a bit of a... Um, Bong Joon Ho marathon and watched loads of uh, loads of his films, which were all excellent. And we have not seen this one, so I'm very excited. Yeah, and it's 4K restoration, so it's going to be great. I'm excited. Shall we go in? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, let's go in. This is no trailers. Oh, no trailers, Greg says. But uh, like a. All right, so we've just come out and when the lights came up, we were pretty happy because a lot of people still had their masks on, so that was nice. Mm -hmm. What did you guys think? It was awesome. It was really good to be back at the cinema. Uh, I thought they did a really good job. I felt safe and good and yeah, it was a really good experience. I'm really glad we came out. It was very well run and very well organised and I got to eat my snacks. Yeah, you did. So I was happy. That was good. What was it like (laughs) when we went into the screen? Like, how did they get us to the seats? So there was an usher and every other row was out of use, which was marked out and it was very clear. And um, they gave us very clear instructions and we just had to stay two seats away from everybody else and um, it all felt very good. We didn't have to go close to anyone and it all felt very We safe. did feel, I felt very spread out actually. Mm. Yeah, I felt very far away from everybody else. So, And we were still able to sit together in our little bubble of four people. So that was nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the film was excellent. The film was so good. Loved it. (laughs) So if you've enjoyed today's episode, we've got loads of fun and interesting ones for you to go back and check out, including our mini lockdown series and interviews with filmmakers and cinema champions, which are just so lovely to hear all their stories right now. So definitely encourage you to go back and check those out. And if you'd like to help the Cinema for All podcast, you can rate and review us on iTunes, share it on social media, or even just tell your friends about it. It goes such a long way. But for now, let's roll credits. Producer, Jay Platt. Logo designed by... Lydia Lipinski at Thoughts Make Things. Hosted by... Jack Chell and Abby Sandish with thanks to The Showroom Cinema Greg Povey Ruth Kingdon Chris Perks Andrew Key Laura Fox-Gill Deborah Parker and everybody working in cinemas The Cinema for All podcast is supported by the BFI awarding funds from the National Lottery Thank you Thank you